Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, as Pastor Rod mentioned uh, during announcement time, if you were in here, we are getting close to finishing up a short little series of sermons that we've been doing this spring and the start of this summer that we've called Snapshots of the Kingdom. And we've just been taking one of the parables that Jesus himself taught while he was on earth and looking at one of those each week. And this is uh, number six, I believe. I think we have one more. I know we have one more next Sunday. But then after that, on Father's Day, a few Sundays from now, uh, we'll start through the book of Proverbs for a few months, which I'm excited about that and, and trust that you'll be part of us uh, in our times together for that. Uh, but So we're going to look at one of these parables that Jesus taught uh, from Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to see very quickly that it's about being ready for something, that it's about uh, getting ready for something that is approaching. Uh, and I, I was thinking about this. I think we have a, con- I at least have a problem, and I think it's a common human problem of not being ready for things when deadlines come up. Some of you may have felt that this morning, trying to get ready for church and not ready on time, uh, things like that. But one, with the school year ending, I was thinking about one domain in particular that I would feel that in. When I was a student, uh, especially in college and seminary, when they would get towards the end of a semester, I would feel like this was crunch time. I had known from the start of the semester, I have this number of classes, and they've all told me on their syllabus like when stuff's due, when assignments are due, when projects need to be done by. And I would know that full well. And I would just, being silly, like delay and play video games and stay up till 3 in the morning and whatnot and do none of that until it got close to time. And then I would scramble like, oh no, I've got... 10 assignments, I got this much time to do this much work, and I I would just feel overwhelmed, and what me and a lot of other students would end up doing, and maybe some of you have done this, it would make me feel a little better about myself, is we would ask the teacher for an extension. We would say, hey, I know this is due Friday, could we have the weekend, or could we, you're not going to actually grade these till probably late next week, could we just turn it in then? And some of them would do so, they would be gracious and merciful, uh, but some of them wouldn't, and they would stick to it and say, no, you've known about this, this was the deadline, this is when it's due, and to try to teach us uh, to be responsible and take responsibility, which was helpful for me uh, as time rolled on. But we experienced stuff like that in a lot of domains, some of it in the workplace, if we have a project that's due, or or a deadline that we need to meet and we, we don't quite get ready for it. Or we have company that's coming over, people from out of town that we know we need to get the house ready and we know it's coming, we just don't uh, put in the effort until it's last minute. We have trips that are coming up that we need to pack for and buy certain things for that we don't get ready till the night before, things like that. We experience it in all sorts of domains where there's something we need to be ready for and we just fail to be ready. We, and a lot of times it's our own fault. We haven't been ready, we know what we need to do but we haven't done it. And this parable that Jesus tells this morning that we're going to look at is short, but it has some punch to it to try to show us that we need to be ready for something in particular. And it's far more important than being ready for a test, being ready for some project, some presentation, some people coming to your house. This is a, a, there's far more at stake and something that we need to make sure that we are ready for ourselves. And before we read this, I want to tell you a little bit what's going on here because it helps to make sense of why Jesus was telling this and who he's talking to. I think that'll help us when we read it to understand. This story was told towards the very, very end of Jesus' life before he was crucified. If you've read through Matthew before, you know there's only 28 chapters and we're in chapter 25. And the last numerous chapters are about the last week of Jesus' life, the last 
handful of days that he lived on this earth before he was put to death. And this is part of it. That Jesus that week was doing a lot of teaching. Sometimes he was in the city of Jerusalem really being confrontational and getting at it with the religious leaders in that town trying to expose them and provoke them. But there were some times during this week, like what we're going to read here, where he kind of retreated back away from the city and he would teach his disciples. He would actually try to teach them, not crowds, not his enemies, people who were seeking to follow him. Uh, this, these couple chapters, 24 and 25, are something that people have come to call over time the Olivet Discourse. You may have heard that term if you've gone to schooling or anything uh, for the Bible. But where you see that is back in chapter 24. There's a scene that starts where Jesus, chapter 24, verse 3, this is probably on Tuesday before Jesus was arrested on Thursday and put to death on Friday. On that Tuesday, chapter 24, verse 3, says that he sat on the Mount of Olives As he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? And so this this scene that unfolds that we're going to drop into and read a story that Jesus told and happens there on that mountain a couple days before Jesus is arrested when he knows the end is near. He, He doesn't have just years to toy around with now. He is coming to crunch time and is trying to invest and impart certain things in his disciples that he wants them to remember before he is put to death and before he eventually ascends to heaven after he's raised from the dead. And you see in these chapters, he is really focusing on the future. He's not just looking ahead to Thursday and Friday and saying, hey, be ready for this. He is looking ahead thousands of years, like anticipating stuff that is even future for us still. And he's telling it to these men, these disciples, so that they could tell others, that they could pass this down, it's come to us now, to know what's going to take place in the future. Jesus wanted his followers, who would be coming behind him for years and years, and now millennia, to know what was going to take place, to, to see into the future. And so this story is part of that teaching, part of that time he sat down on that Tuesday with his disciples. And I want you to follow along with me in verse uh, 1 to 13, of chapter 25 of Matthew. I'll read this and then we'll back up and try to understand what this story even is, like what Jesus is picturing, but then most importantly, what he was trying to actually convey, like what was the point of the story. So follow along with me, uh, verses 1 to 13, chapter 25. This is the story, the parable that Jesus tells. He says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like, so you know he's talking about the future, something about his kingdom and what it will be like. He says, it will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. And then Jesus says this. He says, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. 
This is a, a short story, a, a powerful story. Uh, Jesus very clear. I want to explain a little bit of what he's describing, what the story itself was, because it's in a little bit, it's thousands of years ago, across an ocean, different society, different culture. I want you to understand a little bit of what he's describing. He's very clearly talking about a part of a wedding celebration, right? You see that through terms like the bridegroom and the wedding feast, things like that. We don't know a ton about how weddings took place and, and the whole ceremonies and all the festivities involved from back then, but we do know some basic things uh, that, that Jesus, you can see how he's picturing these things in the story. We know, for example, that there would be an engagement, we might call it an engagement, they would call it a betrothal that would happen uh, where this couple would, would be pledged to one another. That would typically take place at the bride's family's house. And then there would be a period of time. We don't, it doesn't, it varied how long it was, but they'd be engaged or betrothed to each other for quite a while. And then eventually when it came time for them to actually become husband and wife and start to, to live and function together as husband and wife under one roof, what would happen is there would be a day that was known, a time that was known that they would have their friends there, they would have their family there, and the groom often would go then to the bride's home and there may be like a dinner there or something, uh, some sort of ceremony or festivities there. But then he would go with her back to his house or to his family's house if he was still living with his family. And there would be a big feast typically. There would be a, a big celebration back at the house of that groom. And there would be tons of people involved. There would be, uh, it talks about virgins in this story. That would be like the equivalent of bridesmaids back then. There would have been friends of the bride uh, who would have been part of the party. And it, it would have happened in the evening time typically. Uh, but they would have come back and, and had this feast, had this dinner, this celebration, this, this party together. And so that's some of what Jesus is picturing here. Uh, not every detail is included, but that would have been in the mind of these hearers, some of that, those festivities and the, the excitement and the readiness for that day where finally they could be husband and wife and joining in that celebration. And this is the kind of scene Jesus is envisioning. And how this story unfolds is like this. He says that there's these ten virgins, these ten bridesmaids, you may think of them as, who take their lamps. These wouldn't have been even like oil lanterns or kerosene lanterns or anything. It probably would have been more like torches where they had like a rag of some sort on them that would have been dipped in oil that then they would burn and that they didn't have street lamps, okay, stuff like that back then. There's no cell phones they could turn out to have their flashlight on. They, they needed somehow to, to keep light. And so they go out. They, they are wanting to meet the bridegroom. They're wanting to, to see him come uh, to the house and be part of the party. Side note, the bride is never actually mentioned here. Don't worry about that detail. Not every detail is supposed to mean every, like, significant things. But they're waiting for the groom to come. They're waiting for this celebration. But you see quickly there's two groups of them. There's some that are wise, some that are fools. And the way that Jesus tells us is that the wise ones were ones who brought extra oil with them. Uh, the foolish ones were who they maybe had enough for their, their light to be lit, their lamp to be lit for a while, but they didn't bring any extra with them. And then in verse 5, he says that the groom is delayed. That's an important detail in the story. That, that The time they expected him to come, the time they expected this party to start, it didn't actually happen. And, and he's delayed. We don't know why. Uh, we don't know what the cause of that is. But it's such a delay that it gets late into the night, and as I probably would, uh, I, they fall asleep, all of them. They get drowsy, Jesus said, they fall asleep. 
And then finally in the middle of the night, while they're sleeping, they hear this cry come out that he's coming, he's here. They're like, get ready. And so they wake up real fast, it seems like, and try to get their lamps going again. Or if they've started to die out, they try to get them back uh, burning brighter so that they can be part of the party and join in as the groom arrives. Uh, but the foolish young women, the foolish bridesmaids, they who didn't have oil, their lamps are not burning. They're, they're about to go out. And so they ask, this would be a natural question, right? They say, hey, you've got some oil. Like, can I have some of that? Like, let me share in this. And the, the wise ladies say no. Again, don't get lost in that detail. That seems like a jerk move to us to say, no, you can't have any. That's not the point of the story. But they say, no, hey, why don't you go? There's some merchants over here. Who, and that would have been normal like for them to be open when there was a big party going on and people might need stuff even late into the night. They say, you go buy some for yourself. And so they do. They, they go to find oil, and presumably they do. But while they're gone, the groom shows up. The groom comes, and the, the party starts. And it says that those who were ready go in with him to the marriage feast. And then it says the door was shut. The door was shut. And these ladies who have gone to get oil, they come back. And they, they, they knock on the door seemingly, and they're at least calling out saying, Hey, open up to us. Like, we want to come in. Lord, Lord. Oh, sir, sir. Yours might translate. Like, open up to us. Let us in. And you hear this voice, presumably of the groom, saying, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. And rather than opening the door and letting them come in, he says, no, I never knew you. And so these ladies are not allowed entrance into the very party, the very celebration that they had planned to be part of, that they had wanted to be part of. They're not allowed to be part of it. And Jesus uh, is make, trying to make a point with this story, right? He's not just telling, as we've seen, he's not just telling these stories to tell stories. He's telling them to make a point. And you see in verse 13, at the very end of the story, some of what he's trying to convey, some of what he's trying to get across, because right as he ends that story with that powerful scene of these ladies being shut out, Jesus says this. He says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, if you've read your Bible, you may know very clearly what he's talking about. But in that sentence, he doesn't actually say. He just says, hey, watch, be ready. And then he says, you don't know the day or the hour. And if you don't know your Bible, you might think, the day or hour of what? <laughs> like, what, what is it I'm supposed to be ready for? What is it that I'm supposed to be looking for that, that I don't know when it's going to take place? But it's very clear as you back up even into what Jesus has been saying right before he tells the story that Jesus has, is talking about his return, he himself, his return to earth someday in the future. Back in 20, chapter 24, verse 44, for example, he often would call himself the son of man. And he said to them just a few verses before what we read, he says, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so when he is talking about some hour that something's going to happen, he's talking about him coming back to earth, him returning to this earth. And this is a, a powerful story that gives us a picture, gives us a snapshot of what that's going to be like when he comes, when he returns to this earth. Right, right now, he is in heaven, he is reigning over all things, but someday he's saying, I am going to return to this planet. And this gives us a picture, in some ways, of what's going to take place. This, this 
Story isn't supposed to give us every detail of what that's going to be like. Every, every little detail of this story is not necessarily super important and represents certain things about what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. You don't need to worry about why there's ten virgins or why those wise ladies didn't give their oils to, oil to the foolish ones. That's not the point of the story. You don't have to worry like, what is the oil supposed to symbolize? Things like that. Like, you, we're not told that stuff. Like, we, we don't need, we don't know that. That's not the point of what Jesus is trying to say. He, we're not even necessarily supposed to think, why would the groom not let them in? That seems, that was not been a normal cultural thing in their day for the groom to shut the door and say, you're shut out, you can't come in. Like, but those little details, we don't have to wonder and speculate about all of them. But I do think in general with the story, there are some very clear things Jesus is trying to say about when he does return and how we need to be ready for his return. He's, he's very clearly picturing himself as the groom in this story, right? There, we talked about how in their culture there'd be like a, an engagement time and then the groom would go away for a while. But then there would be a time finally where he would come and become one with his bride and where there would be this celebration in the beginning of this life together that was going to be permanent. And Jesus is going to do that with his people, with his bride someday. He is going, he has gone away to heaven for a while and someday he, to his father's house even, and someday he's going to return for his bride. Someday he is going to return just like this groom did. But that Jesus also pointed out that there, it was a delay in this story of the groom's return, of the groom coming. There was a delay and there, similarly, there has been a delay in the return of Christ, has there not? It has been two, almost 2,000 years since Christ ascended to heaven after he was raised from the dead. That is not chump change of time. That is a long delay that has happened that, that people weren't necessarily anticipating that even if Jesus would go away for a while, they thought maybe he would come back within a decade or within a few decades or surely within a century or millennia. And it's now been 2,000 years almost since Christ is gone. And so I think that's a, a detail he put in this story on purpose, but the most important part of this story is what who he calls these virgins, these bridesmaids, and whether they are ready or not when Christ returns. And those are to picture us. Those are to picture us as the people of God, the, or human beings at least, who are either ready when Christ returns, we'll either be ready or we will be found unprepared and unready for his return. And it's like as this story progresses, there's always like the story world in what Jesus is describing, and then there's the real world. And usually he tells the story and, and makes up these characters, and he's trying to convey something about the actual reality, actual real world, about God himself and his people. And as this story progresses, it's kind of like Jesus slowly moves from a story world where there's these ten virgins, and, and they have these real lamps and things like that. And it's like slowly as he progresses through the story, he slowly moves more into the real world, into the real things that are going to take place with God himself and with human beings. And as he gets towards the end of this story, you start to see some things come out that should be very instructive to us, that should be very powerful for us. Because as this, as this story comes to its culmination, you see these ladies have gone, uh, or let me say this way, when, when the groom comes, and that's to represent Christ and his return to the earth, you see these young ladies who weren't ready, you see them scrambling to try to get ready really fast. You see, and, but you see that when the groom comes, when Christ comes, 
There will be no scrambling in that day. There will be no opportunity when Christ comes back. There's not going to be opportunity for us to say, there's not going to be borrowing of other people's readiness for the return of Christ. These ladies wanted to borrow the readiness of the, their friends and of, of these other bridesmaids. And it's pictured in this story. That will not happen. And the same is true for us. When Christ returns, you will not be able, if you are not ready, you will not be able to borrow somebody else's readiness. You will not be able to borrow right on the coattails of your mom, your wife, your husband, your kids, uh, your ch fellow church mates and members. You will not be able to borrow and to scramble to be ready for the return of Christ. It will be sudden. It will be decisive. There is finality that's pictured when he says that this door is shut. That wouldn't have necessarily been a custom in their day to shut the door and to let no one else in. But Jesus pictures this story this way where he says this door is shut and he pictures it not opening again. And when Christ comes back, he, he wants us to know, he wants us as the people who hear this story to know that when he comes back as the groom, when he comes back to set up his kingdom and he starts to establish it and that celebration begins, there will be a door that is shut. And there will be no entrance into it. There will be no uh, negotiating with him, no begging at the door for him to let you in, no persuading him to let you in. There will be decisive and it will be final when he returns. There will be two categories of us. You see, as Jesus even goes on in this chapter, when he comes and returns to this planet to judge the world, there, it will not be graded on a curve. There will be two categories of us, those who are welcomed into his celebration, into his kingdom, and those who are shut out of it. There will be no middle ground. And Jesus is telling this story. He's talking about these realities. And I would want to convey his point to us today is that we need to be ready for the return of Christ. This is not a complicated point. You need to be ready for the return of Christ. We are called to be ready. I want to share a few ways that I think this has bearing on our lives. The, the ways that this has significance upon our lives and should impact us as we read this story one, I want to share a couple of thoughts about just the return of Jesus in general, because that's something we don't get to talk a lot about. It's all over the New Testament, but, but we don't often think about his return and him actually coming back, actually descending from heaven and to come back to our world to establish his eternal kingdom. But I want us, if we are the people of Christ, to believe and to know and have confidence that he actually will return. Like, that will actually happen. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that, but you read it in the Bible, but to think he actually will someday at the, the direction of the Father return to this planet. And it is going to be awesome. Like if we are his people, it is going to be amazing. He says later in this chapter 25, verse 31, he says it very matter-of-factly. This isn't some story he's telling, a, a make-believe story. He says, chapter 25, verse 31, talking about himself as the Son of Man, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all, his, all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Like Jesus had confidence that he was about to be crucified. He was about to be raised from the dead and go back to be with the Father. But he had absolute confidence and wanted his disciples to know, I am coming back someday. I am coming back. I am going to return. And the fact that he has been delayed in coming doesn't make it any less likely that he's actually coming. 
The fact that it's been 2,000 almost years doesn't make it any less likely that he's going to return than it did two days after he went to heaven or two years after he went to heaven or 200 years after he went to heaven. The longer he delays, think about this, be grateful he has delayed or we would not exist. So he has delayed, but that does not mean he is not coming. He wanted this delay to be embedded in the story and to be an expectation of his people that he is going to be delayed in coming, but he is going to come. Jesus says we don't know the day or the hour in verse 13, and that is very true. That is still true. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour that Christ will return. But there is someone who does. God the Father has already determined the day. He has determined the hour that Christ will return to this earth. I like to uh, keep calendars. I have a big one up in my office and like plan things out. If they, I like to imagine this, this is probably sacrilegious and not true, but if there is a calendar, a master calendar that God the Father keeps in heaven, you know what is somewhere on that calendar? Is the return of Christ. And it's not in pencil. It's not like subject to change. It is written in big, bold marker someday, some hour, and maybe soon. Like he has determined when he will return to this earth, and he will. Someday he will tell Jesus, go back, like claim your bride, set up your kingdom, and he will do it. And we may be alive to see it. It will happen. And we, if we are his people, we ought to look forward to that. We ought to long for that to happen. There are so many things, so many lame things in comparison that I look forward to or that you look forward to. We, uh, with summer arriving, we look forward to sleeping in. If you're kids, we look forward to vacations, maybe, if you have family or friends you're planning to do a vacation with. We look forward to a wedding. We look forward to retirement. We look forward to uh, what, fill in the blank. There's so many things. Some of you are looking forward to graduations this week of high school. Like, there are things we look forward to and, and long for, and we don't even have any longing in our hearts as Christ's people for him to come back from heaven. And to set up his eternal kingdom. Those things that we long for are lame in comparison. Like this feast, when every time I'm at a wedding reception, I think of this. And sometimes I pray it when I get the opportunity to pray at a wedding reception. Let us remember that this party is nothing compared to the feast that Jesus will start and to the kingdom that he will set up when he returns. And we ought to long for that. That ought to be like something we eagerly anticipate if we are Christ's people is for him to return and set up the kingdom that he has promised. The question that I want to ask you today, though, I would ask every single one of you this, and I would sit down and talk with you each if I had time, and I ask you this with all seriousness, and I would urge you to think about the answer to this, is are you ready right now for Jesus to return? Like, are you yourself ready for Christ to return? Because he has said he will, and we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know the day or the hour, but Jesus commanded us in verse 13, he said, to watch, to be ready for it. He uses that word ready earlier to describe the wise young women. He calls us to be ready, and I would ask you, are you ready for the return of Christ now, today? Like, do not bank on some opportunity you think you're going to have that Christ will just continue to delay, that you'll continue to have long life. You'll have more and more opportunities to, to get things right in your life, to, to confess your sin and trust in Christ. Don't bank on that. Professors may give us extensions. Christ has told us he will not give us an extension when he comes back. 
There will be a door that is open and then it will be shut. And he calls us to be ready. And you will not be able to bargain with him when he returns. Like these ladies tried to do this with this groom and there was none of that. You will not be able to get through some side doors and trick God into letting you in the kingdom. There will be no wedding crashers in the kingdom of Christ. There will be nobody who, who secretly gets in. There is one door to get in and Jesus is manning it. And either he will receive you and let you in or he will shut it and keep you out. Are you ready for him to come? Are you ready to, to face him? How can you know if you are? How can you know if you're ready? I, one thing I want to point out, I've been thinking about this a lot this week and trying to think how to convey this, and I hope I can do it well, because my intent is not to make anybody unnecessarily worry or fearful, but I want to point something out to you that I see going on in this story, that Jesus is telling this story to his disciples. Like he, he, there was times that he taught stuff to people who were his enemies, to people who wanted nothing to do with him. But what we saw is when he sat down on that Mount of Olives to teach this and to tell these stories, it was his disciples that came to him. It was people who at least at that time wanted to hear from him, who wanted to be around him and to listen to him and to, in some capacity, do what he said. And it is to them that he tells this story. He, it is not to his enemies. It is to people who are claiming allegiance to him. He's telling them this story, be ready. And he's implying that some of us, some of you could be shut out of the kingdom. And sometimes we think in our culture that all that matters when it comes to my standing with Christ and whether I get to be part of his kingdom or not is whether I want to be in that kingdom. Whether I want to be part of it. That's all that matters. These, these five ladies who got shut out of the kingdom, they wanted to be in there. Did you notice that? It's not like five of them went out to meet the groom and five of them were just wanting to go on a, a nighttime hike. They all wanted to be part of that celebration. They all wanted to be in that feast. These, the five who were foolish, they wanted to be in. And even when they went to, they went to great efforts, they went to go get more oil and they come back knocking on the door again wanting in. Saying, I, I want in, we want in, let us in. And the groom says no. The groom that's picturing Jesus says no. I, I would want to point out to you that what matters most is whether the groom knows you. Not just whether you want in. What matters most is whether Christ will receive you. Not just whether you want heaven. Like he was the one standing at the door. He was the one answering them at that door saying, no, I never knew you. And they were wanting in. But they had not been prepared. They had not been ready the way that they were supposed to be. And they are shut out. The way that we enter into the kingdom of Christ, the way that we enter into this celebration and this new earth, it's not some mystery to us that we have to wonder and know, like, man, what will he think of me? Will he receive me when he comes back? He has given us a syllabus. He, he has told us what is necessary to be part of his kingdom. And we might not know when he's going to come back, but we know, as we read scripture, what we need to do to be ready. 
And it's not like accumulating years and years of obedience and doing good works and making sure I put my offering check in and making sure I listen to my mom and dad and doing all these good things. Jesus has told us that he will judge us based on whether we have repented of our sins and put our trust in him. It's not that we come to him with gifts and we impress him at that door and say, let me in, let me in, look at all I did, look at all these good things I did. Jesus pictures that earlier in Matthew and says, there will be people who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, I did all this stuff for you. And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And there, I, in a crowd this size, I can almost guarantee there are some of you who think you are part of Christ's people. You think you are headed towards his kingdom because you do good things. And you think you're on a pathway to be part of his kingdom and someday Jesus is going to shut the door on you and say, I never knew you. Because you're coming to him thinking you're good and you have much to offer and that he ought to let you in on your merit and on your goodness. And if that's how you are when Jesus returns, he will shut you out. But if you come to him, I don't care how old you are, how many sins you've accumulated, how young you are, what gender you are, what background you are. If you come to him when he returns, having repented of your sins and put your trust in him as the one who was crucified for them, as the one who was raised from the dead for you. If you come to him with that demeanor, empty-handed, he'll receive you in. You will be part of his kingdom. And that is how you can know. It's not just do I want to be in. It is does Christ want me to be in. And he has said if you come to him repenting and trusting in him that he will receive you. I was thinking about this. I am not necessarily the best with directions. I have gotten better with like GPS and whatnot on phones. I don't know if that makes me better or not. But I can at least get where I'm trying to go more often. But have you ever had this happen where you're about to get on a highway and you know how there's direction signs that say like, hey, 30 east is this way and 30 west is that way. And sometimes it's kind of confusing. And have you ever gotten on the wrong one, like gone on the wrong one and you're just talking or whatever and you, you get like miles and miles, sometimes maybe even an hour or whatever down the road and you realize like, oh man, like the numbers on the sign of where I'm trying to, I, I don't even see the place I'm trying to go on this sign. I'm going the wrong way. I thought I was going east but I'm actually going west. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. That's happened to me a few times. But in that moment, before you realize that you are heading the wrong direction, but you think you're heading the other direction. You think you're heading the right direction. And there are many people. Jesus talked about this on multiple occasions. There are many people who think they're on the path to the kingdom of Christ, who think that they're going to be part of this celebration, this new earth that he is setting up, and they are on the path to hell. They're on the path to destruction and they don't even realize it. And that may be some of you in this room today if you are planning to approach him with anything other than repentance and faith in him. That is what gets you into his kingdom is to remember and trust in what he has done for you, not what you have done for him. So I would ask you, are you ready now for the return of Christ? But I would also ask you this in closing, is will you be ready then? Because I don't know when Christ is coming back. I hope it's soon, the older I get. I'm not old by any means, but the older I get, the sooner I hope it is uh, that Christ returns. But Jesus is trying to make sure, not just that his disciples are ready now for his return, but that we are ready when he actually returns. Because that's what matters most. These, these foolish young ladies, these foolish virgins in this story, they 
were ready at the beginning, it seems. But as time goes on, their readiness wanes and they're shut out. And what Jesus is trying to, to point out here is not that like our security with him and our acceptance by him goes up and down, but he is wanting us to know, hey, you need to press on in faith. You need to press on in repentance because you don't know when I'm returning, but when I do return, I want to find you repentant and trusting in me. It's not enough to just be ready when you're a kid and then live however you want and think that, man, when I face Christ someday, that that everything that happened then is going to make me good. But Christ calls us every day, every hour of our life to be ready for him to return. To, to be repenting of our sins, to be trusting in him for our salvation. So will you be ready then? As we think about the end of time and how the world may end, there's uh, some interesting things that go through people's minds and get depicted in movies and, and things like that. There's people who envision zombie apocalypses. and that's, I, I do not get that stuff, to be honest. Uh, but we envision zombies. Uh, we envision less realistic, or maybe slightly more realistic stuff, like alien takeovers. But then in real time, many of people, as they think of the... Uh, the end of time, they think of like stuff like asteroids hitting the earth or like famine striking us or, or hostile enemies taking over our country. We think of atomic fallout if there's been nuclear war. We, we imagine all these things, uh, some realistic, some absolutely not. But as people think about the end of time, if they're trying to get ready at all, some people do stuff like they build bunkers. They, they stockpile food. They stockpile weapons if they're anticipating a need for those. They, if there's certain ends that they think are going to take place, they may take political action to try to avoid certain things and to secure certain outcomes, all in an effort to be ready for these things when they take place, ready for the end. But for us, set those things aside. We know how things are going to end. It's not going to end in those ways. This world is going to end when Christ returns. And he has told us how to be ready. Whether it's in June of 2017 or whether it's another thousand or two thousand years from now, he's told us how to be ready. So we come to him in repentance for our sins. And we come to him in faith that he has died for us and been raised from the dead for us. And that is all we must do to be ready. We don't have to have years of digging holes and stockpiling stuff and accumulating merit that we can bring to him. We come to him empty-handed, repentant, trusting sinners, and that makes us ready now, and it will make us ready then.